Welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm your host today, Colleen McCoy-Sika, and I'm the Director of Professional Learning for NCEA. The sponsor of today's podcast is Catapult Learning. For 45 years, Catapult Learning has partnered with Catholic schools and dioceses to provide high-quality supplemental instruction, specialized services, and customized professional development. Today, they work with more than 2,000 Catholic schools across the country to support their academic mission of providing every child with an excellent education. Visit their website today at catapultlearning.org or call 800-841-8730 for more information. My guest on the podcast today is Devin Weibel, Vice President of Academics at Full Bloom, which is the parent organization for Catapult Learning. Devin and her team develop programs, including reading and math intervention, summer enrichment and counseling programs for K-12 schools across the country. Our topic today is one of great importance that's been gaining some much needed attention, mental wellness in K-12 education. Devin, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you so much for having me to talk about this important topic. I think this conversation is, um, it's definitely timely and, and I'm excited to hear uh, the things that you've been doing with, with schools across the country um, around this. Uh, it, it's so needed everywhere. So, so let's, let's jump in a little bit. I know that the, um, you know, the idea behind mental wellness is really a, a proactive approach. So referring to mental wellness is not an indication of widespread mental illness. So can you clarify a little bit why proactive positive education around mental wellness is so important? Yeah, absolutely. I do think there's a lot of um, confusion and we're hearing so much about mental health and mental well-being in the news. I mean, if you turn on um, the radio or turn on the TV or read a news article, it's going to pop up. And so really what we're seeing and when we think about mental well-being or mental health, it's how we function and deal with stress. How do we cope with some of the challenges or stressors um, that we deal with every day? And so when we think about kind of the difference between our mental wellness, our mental health and mental illness, all of us really want to have strong mental health because that will give us the tools and strategies that allows us to better deal with stress, um, better cope with challenges that we face um, or changes that we're facing in the world today. So what we know about mental wellness is in just like how we build academic skills or how we build physical skills, we can actually do the same thing for our mental strength. So just like we go to PE class or we go to math class and we learn strategies and skills to, to perform better on a math test or we, you know, practice running a mile in PE class so we get faster, we want to be doing the exact same thing for our mental health, which means we want to develop strategies, practice those strategies so that when we hit up against a stressful situation, which as you know, and I'm sure are living through, we have a lot more of that in our lives right now because of the pandemic, um, that we're better able to cope with the challenges or we have strategies that allow us to cope with the challenges. I like that um, that comparison to physical well-being because everybody can understand physical well-being, right? And and when you think back to you know like our our education, you know go go back to when we were kids in school, yeah. um, you know we always had PE class, and so we were you know taught 
physical fitness and this is the this is why it's important to be physically fit and you want to ward off you know these things that can happen if you are not taking care of your body but i i mean honestly i don't remember in school being taught mental fitness or mental wellness and so that's something that you know probably more in my adult life has become something that's you know more more on the radar as you deal with stress when when i was a kid i know we didn't talk about you know the the stress in your life as a child that just wasn't a thing i don't know about you <laughs> um yeah no i would say that it definitely wasn't as much of a thing you know 20 30 years ago 15 mm -hmm. 20 years ago i think also life has become in many ways it moves faster, it is more stressful. And we probably all know people who we look at them and they really make things look easy, right? They have yeah. the ability to deal with life stressors or something changes and they can pivot really easily because they have strong coping mechanisms to mm -hmm. allow them to recognize how they're feeling, apply a strategy, maybe self-talk or deep breathing to really help them kind of be mindful in the moment and then move forward. And it looks like they're doing it naturally when in reality, there's actually probably a lot of thinking happening kind of under the surface that's helping them deal with the stressors that are present. And when I think about our lives as kids, you know, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have, you know, probably as many activities or even some of the stress that kids have as they get older with pressure to excel in sports or pressure to get into the quote unquote right college some of those were definitely there but when you add all of those pieces together um the stress that our kids deal with um some of the challenges that they deal with just weren't there when we were younger and so their kind of stress landscape um is quite different than the stress landscape we had and the need for coping mechanisms i think have um, have greatly magnified uh in the world that our kids live in today versus the ones we were raised in just a few years yeah. ago Yep, very well said. Their their stress landscape is definitely different. Very well said. So thinking about mental wellness in education and teaching coping strategies to children, I know that looks different at varying ages, and we've started those conversations much earlier, um, and and for good reason, right? So can you can you talk a little bit about what it looks like in say you know your kinder through second grade? classrooms versus elementary and then adolescence when we're talking about um, stress and coping strategies? Yeah, so thank you. That's a great question. It even starts, I would say, even younger with our littles in preschool. So when we think about our youngest learners, you know, one of it is just identifying, and this is true of all ages, but as if you can really work with your younger kids at first to identify how they're feeling. So when something doesn't go their way, I have a three-year-old, um, and when things don't go his way, he sometimes melts down, right? We've all seen a, mm -hmm. a tantrum or a moment of explosive, enthusiastic uh, emotions. And <laughs> what that is, is like, I don't, I'm feeling something and I don't know what it is and I don't know how to respond to it. So yeah. really helping kids be mindful of what is happening in their bodies when they experience certain um, experiences or certain emotions. Like sometimes we feel like our heart is racing. We start to breathe heavier, we get hot. Um, and so just being mindful of what is happening and recognizing that emotion, we can then name it. So I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm um, tired, right? Though being able to name your emotion and then move to, well, what strategy, what tool do I have in my toolbox that I'm able to deploy against that emotion? 
Um, and so really with young kids, a lot of it is recognizing that feeling, um, naming that feeling, and then helping them develop strategies. And every kid's a little bit different. So there's not just one strategy that works, but a different set of strategies that help them to navigate through kind of that emotional um, challenge. So when I hit something that's hard, for example, how do I respond to that? What do I do? Um, as kids get older, I think, you know, it's always important that they have trusting adults in their life. And so people that they trust, often a parent or a caregiver, um, their teachers also become important in this um, equation as well. But they watch us and how we respond to stress. So we do have some control as adults in kids' lives to emulate and really be a model of, you know, the, how do we deal with challenging situations? What do we do to cope with um, challenges? So talking through that, just like we do in education when we're teaching a new skill, um, we do what's called a think aloud, right? We go through the process of how we solve a math problem or how we find a, a key character trait, for example. That you wanna do that when you're working with kids through how we cope with our emotions. So we would talk about how we do something, how we feel, how we deal through that. So one of our coping strategies might be taking deep breaths um, and really explaining what that does to our physiology. It changes our body chemistry and allows our bodies to calm down so that we're able to respond uh, more appropriately to our emotional response. And I would say, I think very different than when we were younger, right? Especially as kids get older and we start to equip them with um, cell phones. We start to give them this really powerful tool that can be such a device for good, but also a really challenging device to manage when you're a young person, is that we make sure that we're talking to our kids really explicitly about that kind of tool, the dangers that exist in that tool, and that we're monitoring their use really closely. Um, but, and that's a key difference between like younger kids where we have a lot of control over their screen time. They often don't have devices in their hand, but as they get older, we start to give them these tools for often very valid reasons. They need to call us to get home from practice or we wanna make sure we can check in with them. Um, but I think that being really careful and thoughtful about how we monitor that use and how we emotionally prepare kids to have that kind of device is really um, a key piece. Yeah. Oh my goodness. A lot, a lot of what you just said, I, you know, I have so many ideas going through my head. I'm trying to take some notes, you know, as you're talking and I'm thinking about some of the, the similarities you talked about, you have a three-year-old, right? So as a, I as a parent, <laughs> you're thinking about, okay, so those, those little littles and how they process emotion and, um, you know, the thing is, so, you know, I've got teenagers, so my boys on the other, you know, end of that, that spectrum right now, they're 16 and 17. And I, I, one of my kids is still a verbal processor. So as mm -hmm. you were talking about, you know, if we can equip kids to kind of talk themselves through the process of what they're feeling, let's, um, you know, let's, let's name those emotions and, you know, help them move from that, that feeling brain back into their thinking brain, whether it's through the process of talking about it or taking some deep breaths or, you know, whatever the case may be, um, a, a three-year-old, we teach them how to do that. We still have to remind older kids yes. to do that too. So, you know, as I, the way that I asked the question, you know, what are kind of, what are the, the differences in K through two, but there's also, there's still a lot of similarities and we just, so many coping yeah. mechanisms are coping mechanisms and we well, can I use think, them as yeah. adults, right? Yes. 
Well, and with older kids too, you have to be, and we do this as adults too, um, self-talk. And we often mm-hmm. are our own worst enemies, <laughs> uh, right? We, we respond to a situation and we immediately internally talk to ourselves and we can sometimes be our own worst critics and say the worst things to ourselves. And our kids yeah. do often the same thing. So you might hear them after they, you know, maybe they don't perform as well on the um, sports field or they struggle on a math assessment. And it's like, oh, I'm just so stupid or I'm just, oh, you know, I'm, I have such bad luck. I'm always so bad at these things. And really equipping them to change that language, change that self-talk because it gives them control over the situation. Um, and really we have to be our own advocate, right? We have to teach our kids. And this is a great way where teachers can be a great example where parents and other caregivers can be really strong examples of positive self-talk um, that can change that mental narrative and really help students um, to see things as like a one-time incident instead of something that is um, prolonged. It can also really yeah. change them from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, which is a really good mechanism for um, strong mental well-being. That's fantastic. So one of the notes that I wrote down um, was was modeling, the importance of modeling, and you just came right back to it. So um, the way that adults can model um, you know, how they're handling a difficult situation in front of a classroom, for example, right? Um, mm-hmm. the, the words that they use as they are diffusing a conflict. And then, of course, you know, we're going to talk about, about social media in, in just a minute, but modeling the use of technology and, and what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. You mentioned healthy relationships and social media use as part of adolescent programming for what you do. So at what age do you think is it appropriate and realistic to begin talking with kids about social media? Yep, that's a good question. So I actually think when kids are old enough to start seeing us on our social media, seeing us on our phones, this is a huge shift from when we were younger when, I mean, for me anyway, there wasn't, a, there were no cell phones. Um, no. Mm-mm. And there was really, you know, computers were just being introduced into the house and you had one and it was like in one place where your parents could see you on it at all times. Um, so I think, you know, starting to talk the, the conversation around strong di- digital citizenship, um, what, you know, phones are used, social media is used for, phones are used for, and what they're, you know, not used for being a really good. So when we think about modeling, even before your kids have phones, you think about yourself as a model. Um, are you always on your phone instead of like at supper time, for example, when you sit down and have supper, um, or when you're having a meal, which sometimes I know if you're busy, you're it's on the go. Um, you know, are you able to put the phone away and have a conversation, make eye contact with your kids, and really be a model of? There's times that we're on our phone and that we have work to do or we have things to do. And there's times where we turn it off and we're unplugged. Um, Same thing, you know, when you think about bedtime or other types of um, opportunities where we can really build that trusting, healthy relationship with our kids. And can we eliminate um, screens so that we're able to focus on the relationship versus feeling that distraction? Because when kids see that, they think that's just normal. So they may replicate that behavior later on, which you know, as a parent, your kids are teenagers. My oldest is nine. He doesn't have a phone yet. But I hear from a lot of my friends with teenagers, it's like, oh, I just want them to put the phone down. But we maybe haven't been the best model of that behavior. Um, I think as soon as you start thinking about giving your kids a phone, um, and that age is going to vary based on your own, you know, family structure and um, 
rules and things like that, you should start thinking about how do we prepare our son daughter to, you know, have that device. These are really powerful devices. And as we all know, they can um, be a gateway, unfortunately, to some really um, dangerous things. And so talking to your kids about the, the dangers, setting up the phone with an expert. There are people who do this where you can really set up those controls on phones and letting your kids know that you're going to monitor their use and you're going to monitor, you know, places that they visit, what they're looking at, how long they're on it. Um, and then setting up those really good rules. I think there's contracts out there that some different organizations have set up that you can sign with your kids to set up that really healthy uh, kind of guidelines around usage, around when the phones are away, when the phones are allowed. Um, and I think being really honest, like I talk to my kids now about mm -hmm. why we don't spend as much time online or why we're careful um, because of what it can do to our brain, right? And like yes. really being yes. thoughtful with them about, hey, this is why we avoid this type of um, activity. Do you have, as part of your, um, your programming with schools, do you have parental support mechanisms to teach them things? We do. So we have um, parent engagement workshops that actually provide opportunities to teach families about a whole host of different topics. One is, you know, online safety, social media use, um, also really helping parents, especially of older kids, to, you know, recognize potential dangers or look for certain behavioral shifts in their kids um, that could really notify them that there could be a bigger need for intervention or support, uh, potentially from a therapist or a clinician. Um, I think for younger kids, one of the things we talk about a lot, especially with the pandemic, is how do you transition into new things? Because, you know, one of the key things for kids and really humans in, the, in general is consistency. We like routine. If you think about yourself, you probably get up, you probably do similar things in the morning and you have a routine or a structure you follow. The pandemic has thrown a lot of that into chaos. You might wake up one morning and you have to wear a mask in school and everyone around you is wearing a mask. And then by 4 p.m. that day, the rules have changed and the next day is going to look completely different. Um, and whether you agree with masks or not, that's not the point. It's really, it, it, that kind of big routine change mm -hmm. is really disruptive um, to all of us, but especially to our kids, because they suddenly have to shift to a whole new set of rules. And so really helping with open, honest conversation around um, how things are changing and how hard it is for all of us and what we can do to cope through those changes and then trying to hold consistent what we can. So if we have consistent bedtimes or bedtime routines, um, consistent meal times or consistent activities, trying to hold what we can consistent so that our kids still have some um, anchors that they can hold on to. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Good. Well, thank you. Um, so uh, since we're, since I, you know, kind of shifted the, the conversation to parents there, let's, let's stick with talking about adults for a minute. Um, just because teacher retention is actually such an issue right now with a high percentage of teachers feeling burned out, feeling traumatized by pressure and some of those changes that you just mentioned that have occurred over the course of the last two years in an ongoing fashion that just wears 
it wears people down. So teachers have to be at their best to be able to take care of kids and to model all of those personal wellness behaviors that, that you've been um, sharing with us, Devin. So how do your programs address the needs of adults and now kind of focusing on teachers and school leaders? Yeah. So educators, it has been a really challenging couple of years uh, for them as well. So we think about the pivot to virtual instruction of March 2020 and how quickly they had to relearn their craft. Um, There's still some teachers across the country that are doing hybrid learning where they're really teaching in two different modalities. Um, And then just other challenges that they have faced. You know, many teachers have kids and they've dealt with the pandemic stress of being a parent, a caregiver, sometimes a caregiver to a family, right? It's a lot of stress that has been added into um, their daily lives. And so in addition to, you know, really working with students to cope with the challenges of the pandemic and other mental health challenges, we also have a teacher wellness program that is designed to support educators from a mental health perspective. Um, Some of those things could be rooted in challenges in the classroom, but it's wider than that and really provides opportunities for educators to talk to trained professionals around other concerns or challenges that they're facing. Um, And just like we work with kids, you know, teachers need, or educators, um, professionals need an opportunity to talk about, you know, what's upsetting them. Just the sheer fact of talking about it, acknowledging it, having someone see you and really hear you is going to bring stress levels down. And then providing coping mechanisms again for our educators so that we're able to continue to, like, make their cup capacity bigger. So when I think about um, kind of our mental well-being. I think about a cup that we have, you know, we only have so much capacity, all of us. Um, yep. Right now, our capacity for many of us, we, you know, you throw in all these things to your cup that's making it full, more and more full. We have to figure out a way to really um, drain some out of that cup so that teachers can continue to take more in. And our goal is to continue to give them resources through a trained mental health professional who's really focused on education and other kind of caregiving types of professions to provide support groups that teachers opt into um, that provide mental health services to our educators as well. Excellent. I, I'm just curious from, from your perspective, the, um, you know, as a person who, who also does program development myself, you know, sometimes you, you feel like um, something you've done has really made an impact and really made a difference. So just from the work that you've done over the last couple of years, what are you most proud of in the work that you've done? Um, What do you see as making an impact and really making a difference in the lives of teachers and and children and parents? Yeah, so I mean, one is honestly the program that we're designing right now for school-based mental health. I, you know, again, I don't think there's a more pressing issue in our country um, than the mental health and mental well-being of our kids. And we're seeing, uh, you know, the CDC, the um, American Pediatrics Association are literally calling this a mental health crisis. We have, there's a New York Times report out yesterday, you know, hundreds of kids each night spend um, the night in the emergency room because they're in um, crisis, mental health crisis. Uh, And that's, you know, I think the key is it's no one's fault. Like these, these are things that are happening to us and it has been overwhelming for all of us. And so I think being able to build resources to support student well-being and educator well-being and family well-being um, to really stave off that crisis, to intervene as early as possible to support the development 
of mindfulness and coping mechanisms, because then our kids can actually do, you know, what we want them to do, which is like do really well in school and love um, kind of build healthy relationships and, you know, love that time of their life, which is supposed to be about being kind of carefree and learning how to cope in the world. Um, so this has been just really important to me. And then just working with educators to really think about how they shift into, you know, providing strong academic support for kids when we had to do so much virtually, just being a resource for educators because, you know, teachers care so much about the work that they do and the kids that they serve. Um, and it was such a hard shift in transition. And so I think being able to be a support for them so that they were able to meet the needs of their kids and their families um, just felt really good. You know, it felt good to come to work every day to be able to do that. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for all the, the work that you're doing and, and especially in supporting, um, you know, kids at whatever age and in our Catholic schools. Thanks so much. And so thank you, um, Devin Weibel, for joining me today on the podcast. And also thank you to Catapult for their continued support of Catholic schools and for continued partnership with NCEA. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for another NCEA podcast. Have a great day. Oh,